Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Alex Neal to my Tony Pulis. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. What time did you get to the Derby game yesterday, Justin? I got there at seven minutes past kickoff. Unbelievable. Yeah. On the show this week, we're joined by YouTuber and Burnley fan Vizza. How's it going, my friend? I'm having a fantastic time right now and an absolute pleasure to, to come on. I'm very happy to be involved. So thank you very much for getting me on, boys. Absolutely fine with us. Also with us is Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, The YYY Files. Ben, are you well? I am. And your intro suggests that Alex Neal isn't good, which, I f- well, I don't know. Maybe after yesterday. Compared to Pulis, <laughs> Ben. Compared to Pulis. Oh, I, I know. I know. But come on. Pulis couldn't turn this around. Even you'd argue that. <laughs> to have a stalk fan involved in that intro is probably the worst choice you could have, you could have made, really. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it was. <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. And an 87th minute free kick from Scott Twine saw Burnley beat West Brom 2-1. What a win for the Clarets Fizzer. Not there's nothing more that I can really say about these lads that hasn't been said a thousand times. Um, I know that you guys are massive fans of Burnley this year, and that you you credit us a lot, and I think is absolutely justified. Um, I keep on saying that we've got to keep draw. We got we got we got to draw. We must draw. Must lose at some stage, and we, we just we're just not we're just not doing it. And I don't I don't get it really because I'm not used to this. I'm not. I don't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right. Football should be having you depressed. I should be sad. I should be angry. I'm not. And I feel like I'm in a weird limbo here that I don't know how to feel. Um, West Brom, I, I thought was a fantastic team and I, they're definitely going to be in playoffs and I would probably say they would be the team to get out of the playoffs um, <clears throat> against all the other teams of Norwich's and uh, Middlesbrough. So, yeah, I thought that it'd be probably a draw for us. Could be that team that can have our number and we just keep on doing it and coming back from behind, done that a few times. We show our, our character and it was a a big statement, really. Yeah, the free kick from Twine was a real beauty, wasn't it? And he struggled for fitness so far this, this season. And it's scary to think that Burnley could be even better if they have him fully fit for the remainder of the season, Visa. Absolutely. I, I've been devastated about his um his setbacks and it seemed endless this year and of course anyone that's seen him in league one knows the talent that he is and what he can offer and fortunately you know thanks to our recruitment we've been able to cover the areas that if we had someone with a bit of a knock or a bit of inconsistency that we've got another player ready to fill the shoes so yeah i'm absolutely um i'm so happy for him honestly he, he deserved that moment. He deserved that chance, that opportunity. And he just... He's, for a young lad as well, from the stories that I've heard of what he's been going through this year, for any footballer, for any fan, you've got to be a bit happy to see you know, someone like Scott Twine have that moment. And I'm just happy that it came in a big game like that. Well, only two teams in Championship history have picked up more points after 28 games than Burnley. And Visa, I've seen you on Twitter bigging up the possibility of Burnley breaking the 106-point record by Reading. You fancy it, do you? I said that if we could beat West Brom, then I say that the charge is on. And do I think it's possible? It is possible. Do I think we'll do it? Probably not. But we've recruited again in this window with two centre-backs from Belgium and in Sweden and um, a decently big money signing from over in Belgium for Lyle Foster, who's a South African striker who may be able to replace the shoes that Jay Wood hasn't been scoring in the last 10 games or so. So if we can get even better in this window, which we have, well, it's looking like, why not? Um, our team is not only just good in terms of our first 11, but the depth in it is, is remarkable. Um, I was talking to a few fans uh, like other championship fans and i made the the claim saying that i think that even our b team would even get top six in this championship which is uh, if you if i name 
that our B team, I actually wouldn't say that's even a bad shout because that would be a B team of a strike force of Teller, Barnes, maybe maybe now Jay Rodriguez with Johan Berggumansson, Scott Twine in there, midfield of Brownhill and Bastion, back four of Charlie Taylor. Like it's a solid team. So maybe it shows the 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 the, the gap between the Premier League and the Championship right now. And of course, parachute payments is a massive talking point and. You know, even I don't think that we are completely in our position due to that. It definitely does play a factor. Um, and hopefully we can find some solutions in the future to make it a bit more competitive because it is really getting wider and wider. Yeah, that's something that me and Justin have spoken about on numerous occasions, isn't it? But Justin, 106 points for Burnley. I mean, as the weeks go by, it's becoming more and more of a possibility, isn't it? I don't think Burnley fans will want me suggesting that is a possibility, mainly because everything I say tends to work the opposite. Um, but what I will say is if it's going to happen to any team, um, I think that Vincent Company team, a serial winner, a, a manager who has a player demanded the absolute maximum, um, has you know, a vast amount, uh, vast amount of experience of, of just winning knows how to win, then maybe and then then companies demand to, to lead a team to that uh, to that record breaking points points tally. So yeah, if it's, it's gonna happen, it's gonna it's gonna happen because of company and his ability to to get more out of that team. I've done the maths and if Burnley win every game for the rest of the season, they'll finish on 116 points. So they can afford to drop nine points from their remaining 18 games. Worth saying Burnley have only dropped nine points from the last 18. So the form is good for it. If they do it again then the points record is theirs, but it's going to take one hell of an effort either way, isn't it? May I ask, because I'm a regular uh, listener, how many eggs is in that Burnley basket, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. And I think after this game, I'm, I may as well throw them all in because, I mean, we'll come on to West Brom, but West Brom were the, were the, were the stern tests coming up for Burnley and, and they and they rose against it. And, and, you know, they peppered West Brom as well. I know the goals came from, you know, a little bit of fortune, but they they, they deserved the win in the end. Um and they, they showed the moments of quality, and you know you've got Scott Twine coming in. Yeah, those those eggs are those eggs are fully in that basket. All, all of them, every single one of them. Get it in your basket. Yeah. Uh, Stoke four, Reading nil. Where did this come from, Ben? Um, I don't know. Um, who knew that being caught with pulling noises on TV uh, would not be the most embarrassing thing to happen to Paul Lynch this week? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I, 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 I was convinced we'd lose based off form and everything else. I, yeah, I, I'm. So, where did that come from? You know, everything we hit went in. Um, Reading will probably feel hard done by. You know, um, the scoreline flattered us slightly, um, but they weren't great. And look, we we looked more organised, much more balanced. The, the midfield, particularly, Josh Laurent was incredible helps Lewis Baker to do what he needed to do um and we we actually had a plan this week like all our goals were scored from winning the ball back in Reading's half um and that just shows that people like Dwight Gale who f finally got his first goal and Will Smallbone who to be honest hasn't set the world light at Stoke but he is good for pressing high at the pitch and both of those got their reward today yesterday um <laughs> one swallow doesn't make a summer but this was much much better and who knows what happens in the winter transfer window we we, <laughs> we might pick up a little bit but how many times have we said that over the last five years we've been here poor noise as a side it is just four wins in 17 for reading not great form is it for paul Lintz's boys justin what's going wrong with them do you think it's a, it's a great question. Obviously, leaking goals away from home. I think it's twenty six they've conceded away from home, which isn't which isn't ideal. And I think it's just that maybe the the quality of the squad is just coming out to to show a little bit. You know, Paul Ince has said even after this game that they didn't match Stoke's intensity, didn't match their effort levels. Um, and you know, Paul Ince and that running team they are relying a lot on physically matching opposition. And if they don't, the quality does come up short short, short a little bit. But there's certainly enough ability in that team to turn it around, and I think if you know if they can start getting those early goals and not conceding them, then then sure the form will turn around. But yeah, this was this was a bad performance and one that will um, they, they bounce back from. You look at that four 0 defeat early on in the season against Rotherham. They they turned the form around quite quickly after that and picked up again. So I'd expect them to do the same under Ince. 
this results aside, Ben, there's been a growing sense of frustration about the lack of progress the club is making, hasn't there? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, uh, I told you before coming on this week that I, w- I was fully expecting to come on angry this week. Um, and I have been, for, for the last few weeks particularly, I've been angry at what we've done over the last six years and how the club's been handled, um, you know, firing their managers, uh, whether it be too soon or too late, whether it be signing, we must have spent around 100 odd million and wasted pretty much all of it. Um, we there's that we only just have a technical director that isn't like in danger of losing his job. Um, but even then, if Alex Neil goes, he might go with him. I, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I'm trying not to be too harsh on our owners who have put so much money into the club and will commit to putting so much money in the club. They paid off our debts in recent years. Um, but I more fans are getting a stronger sense of they need help and support. You know, we don't want the owners out. They're probably the most generous in the league, maybe the country, right? In terms of local ownership, who really care about the club. But my goodness, I think our track record says that <laughs> they really need some footballing help to get out of this league because otherwise we will be where we are or worse going on this trajectory. Is any blame being pointed towards Alex Neil then for how this season's gone so far? Um, I think partially. I, I think he came in and one of the first things he said was that what Stoke have done over the last couple of years to rebuild under Michael O'Neill has been great and that he should be able to waltz in here and he should be able to coach this young, hungry team into success. Um, he didn't know how long that might take, but he certainly didn't think that you know it'd be this bad, this quickly. He said this is the only time it's happened to him in his career. Um, and he's you know, got, he's got rid of the coaching staff, Rory DeLapp's the latest to leave. Um, like I say, he's changed technical director and brought his own in. Um, look how many loan players have gone back this week, you know, and last week. It, like, it, it's such a big change of the squad that, you know, he was pretty confident coming in, and I think that's the only criticism, you know, people have of him at the moment, is that he's massively underestimated. Like every manager that's come in over the last few years, what a big job Stoke is. Given the time and, you know, with a bit of FFP relaxation over the next couple of years, things, our fortunes might change, but <laughs> this ain't going to be an easy ride for him. And this is, Stoke has never been an easy fix, but we'll see. Eh? Fizzer and Ben, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, it's just in a nice turn to go around the grounds and we'll begin at the CBS Arena where we saw back-to-back wins for David Wagner at Norwich after they beat Coventry 4-2. Jacob Robinson is from the Norwich podcast Canary Cast. What did you think, Jacob? Probably a bit of a basketball match. Much more enjoyable than watching a, a Dean Smith style of football. Um, David Wagner's come in, eight, get eight goals in two games. You've got to, got to be taking that every day of the week, haven't you, really? I think, like we said on the podcast ages ago now, that the, the football under Smith was just absolutely no good. You could tell he wasn't really the man for Norwich. And the players seem unlocked. Max Aaron seems better. Timo Pukki looks like he's actually getting service. Josh Sargent is playing central again, which is brilliant for him. And yeah, everyone just seems a lot better place. The, the club, the fans, the players just seems like it's only going back in one direction after under Smith. It only seemed negative and uh, yeah, seems a, a hell of a lot better than what it has been previously. Yeah, last time you were on the podcast, Jacob, you were feeling a lot more negative around Norwich. But now everything's changed, don't it? I'm guessing you're feeling a lot more positive. Yeah, man, it wasn't that positive, was I? It was quite a difficult, uh, difficult uh, period to be uh, to be positive. To be honest with you, mate. it's uh, yeah, you just tell when when a manager is not really working, and it's just there's just there's gaps there. You can tell players were regressing. There was only one player that had been through this season that was Josh Sargent, and arguably you could say that was because he was in his position or at a lower level. Now everyone seems that David Wagner's come in. You could just see that you've got a proper manager in charge. You've got double training sessions again, which under Smith just wasn't happening. They were they were coming in in the morning and that was it. Now you can see with Wagner that the fitness is getting there and the players just seem just, I don't know what, what the easiest word is, but just released. The shackles have been released, taken off. You could tell, even in that second half, we managed it brilliantly yesterday. Under Smith, you lose that football match or at least draw it, even though it was a bit health skelter in the first half. Wagner even said at full time he wasn't happy with it. Showed them clips at half time and they just yeah, managed the game a hell of a lot better. Showed we were the best team and gave us a victory. You could tell that we've got a, a serious coach in charge now, whereas before it just seems 
good man manager apparently Smith, but the, the, the system wasn't there. There was no structure in place. And now we've got someone with a clear philosophy who wants to go forward and actually suits the players that we've got. So with that being said, Jacob, do you think Wagner is the long-term answer at Norwich? Because I will admit I was a bit sceptical when he came in, but it's it can't be denied. Norwich have been very good in these last couple of games. Yeah, mate, I think, I think it would be quite easy for me to get my uh, my head completely lost here and, and say, yep, yeah, we're, we're catching Sheffield United and uh, the Premier League's ours and he's going to take us to Europe and all that. You can just tell that there's... <laughs> but in a serious note... Um, Ah, it's a tricky one. I, I do agree about the reservations and, and the plan B. Um, I've seen kind of Huddersfield fans say that, Schalke fans and then Young Boy fans all kind of say that once the plan A kind of goes out the window, plan B doesn't always follow. I think he's better than Smith and for that there's always a better footnote on it. I think he's if you give him the players he wants, then that's really when you can judge him. I think there's still a squad there that, that he's going to need a couple of wingers really. Um, again, still lacking a defensive midfielder. I think at the moment, because our squad is strong, then, then we can more than capable of push the playoffs. I think it could even be a season too early to get promoted, to be honest. I think you could lose a couple in in the summer if we don't go up, but but um, it could potentially sort us out longer term to be to be more kind of Wagner suited and structured, really. I like that we're fitter. I like that he wants to be intense with, with the style of play. I think Norwich in the next couple of years will have a strong squad regardless of... of um, it being you know finances and everything just because we've got enough quality players for this for this level really cheers jacob just in an unbelievable start to this game it was 3-2 after 26 minutes i could not believe what i was seeing at saturday lunchtime but it's another win for david wagner and an emphatic one at that it really was i tell you what, i'm fuming because i missed the first 30 minutes so i then watched the rest of the game oh, so i watched no. the boring bit so i'm absolutely fuming but it, it was a scintillating start for norwich and um I know I'm complaining about missing the first 30 minutes, but I was actually more impressed with that second half than it was, than I was in the first half, mainly because they regained control um, and they really started to dictate the game rather than allowing Coventry back into it. Um, and you can argue that, I mean, even going forwards under Dean Smith, Norwich wouldn't have been that productive in the first half. But in the second half, I don't think Norwich would have controlled the game the way they did under Dean Smith either. either. And that just highlights the massive change under David Wagner. And I think it's just that, uh, you know, reinstilling belief back into the players um, but also really sort of tweaks you know listened on commentary saying that Josh Sargent's been moved into a central position because his ability to press um, you know bringing you know, Kieran Dow back into the side and his ability to get in and around the 18 yard box and put chances away because although he's a player that leaves a lot to be desired at times he's got a really good left foot and he is a very clinical forward player um, so yeah it's just small changes and I think those small changes have really started to see the best out of Norwich in that final third um, and in the second half, we saw them saw them control the game like they like they we know they're capable of doing. So, yeah, massive massive turnaround under David Wagner, and hopefully it carries on. Yeah, I, I'm a, agree with you just about that second half. Norwich really could have won this by six mm. goals or so. Um, having scored six goals, I mean, um, because aside from that ten minute salvo from Coventry in the first half, Norwich kept them at arm's length for the rest of the game, and Tim Krul didn't have much to do. Uh, so it's two league games and two very impressive showings from Norwich under Wagner. Kieran Dow looks like a man possessed in the last two games. It's been a long time since we've seen him play as well in consecutive mm-hmm. games. Pukki's getting chances again. Onel Hernandez has been excellent. Max Ahrens is back to being on the front foot, which is where he is the best Max Ahrens that we know. And it's like he's taking the reins off the players and they're just playing with freedom. Now, again, I wasn't too sure about this appointment when it was made. I'm not sure it will work out in the long term, but it's undeniable that these first two league games have been exceptional. Complete night and day to what we saw under Dean Smith, who must have been spitting feathers if he was watching this game from the comfort of his living room. I suppose a question has got to be asked about the top six, Hansit, because the top two race is over. We know that. You've got Middlesbrough and West Brom who have been revitalised, banging form as well. Watford can be hit and miss, but I think we'd both be surprised if they weren't there mm-hmm. come the end of the season. And then Norwich, based on these first two games, may very well be meeting expectations again. So the bookies will have that down as the top six come May, I'm sure, which is the top six that many people also thought it would be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, It is still tight when you look at the table, but it's got to be said, the way it's shaping up, it looks as if it's reverting to type a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I think my only argument with Norwich is let's see how the home form pans out. Um, and I know that um, the the connection seems to be 
uh, repairing amongst the, the club and the fans and the manager as well. And that's really what was Dean Smith's main downfall. It was just a lack of relationship between the two. And obviously, if that's if that you know that will play a big factor at home. So if they can get results at home, repeat those performances at Carrow Road, then sure they will certainly be um, be in a good place to finish in the top six. But you know, I'll probably save probably save face a little bit and rather than uh, jump into that conclusion of them finishing in the top six just now. But yeah, certainly it's reverting to type, which I guess is boring. But we've had a we've had an eventful season so far. Plenty of sackings, plenty of plenty of teams turning it around and whatnot, which has been which has been interesting to to to, to watch. Yeah, there's still a decent section of the season to go, isn't there? So we won't say that's it, it's over and done with yet. And it is the championship. Anything can happen (laughs) in the remaining games. But unfortunately, it does seem a bit like it may just be the six most financially powerful teams (laughs) in the top six, which would be a shame, but... Let's see. Let's see if uh, someone can upset the odds in that respect. Well, one team who looked like a very dangerous challenger at one point for the top six were Coventry, but one win in eight has taken the wind out of their sails, hasn't it? I don't think there's one individual thing that has halted Coventry's progress. I think it's a few contributing factors. Mm-hmm. Injuries is the main one. Callum O'Hare's obviously a big miss, and they've been struggling to create chances in his absence. McFadden's another miss and that may explain why they've conceded some sloppy goals recently he's a good defender but also a big leader isn't he and the size of Coventry squad is also a problem because they've not really had an injury crisis but all it takes is a few injuries to be missing a few players to be missing and it starts to really show in this squad so that won't be helped either by Mark Robbins admitting they're struggling to bring in players this window so it looks like they could very well fall short this season if their recent form is anything to go by and where you look at where they are in the table now you have got to remember this is a long project I suppose and mm-hmm. with the new owners it will take time before Coventry are seriously jostling it out at the top of the table also worth saying the second goal in this game was one of the strangest I've ever seen Justin Victor Yacrez turned swung a leg at it looked like from every angle that he scored it until you see one replay showing Casey Palmer had actually nipped in and side-footed it before Jokerez connected with it. It's very bizarre, but worth searching for if you haven't seen it already. In the Tees Weir derby, that's apparently not a derby. Sunderland beat Middlesbrough 2-0. Thank God this game's over so we can avoid the tedious comments from fans about this not being a derby, Justin. All I see is supporters, I think mostly Sunderland fans, saying, oh, this isn't a derby why is it being billed as that and I, I i don't don't really get why it's such a big deal uh, yeah it's a strange one I, I think it's down to middlesbrough not necessarily having that derby aspect i guess it's a little bit like leicester and forest and derby in that sense where you know teams are relatively close together um but you know the the teams that have that fierce rivalry like Sunderland and Newcastle, don't really want to admit that it's a derby but it actually is a little bit of one um but yeah it certainly was a it, it played out like a derby i mean it was a, it was a tight game that was decided essentially on a on a decision um and that's how that's how derbies are played out so if that's any indication as to whether or not it's a derby or not i think i think it is Well, the Oxford English Dictionary definition of a derby is a sports match between two rival teams from the same area. Sunderland and Middlesbrough are 30 miles apart, so near enough the same area, and the rivals in the championship. So that sounds like a derby to me. Obviously not not Sunderland's (laughs) biggest rivals. That's quite obviously Newcastle. But there'll be hundreds, if not thousands, of Middlesbrough and Sunderland fans who will be going into work in the northeast on Monday morning, giving each other plenty of sticks. So... Sounds like a derby, if you ask me. Also a huge crowd at Sunderland. I think one of, if not the biggest, at Sunderland this season. So all fingers are pointed towards a derby, even though Sunderland fans (laughs) keep saying it's not a derby. But we'll leave that there. Um, I thought Sunderland were excellent here, Justin. Yeah, they they managed the game really well. And as I say, I know the game was decided. I I think the game was decided on a tight tight call from the referee and the sending off um, but as soon as as soon as Dale Fry sent off Sunderland just took control I know they went 1-0 up but they seemed to really click it into another gear in that second half and that final 40 minutes Diallo was superb Patrick Roberts was you know Patrick Roberts has these games where he reminds you of the player that was once at Manchester City that was once once built to be this top class youngster coming through and he has those he has those games every now and then not consistently enough obviously if they if it was the case he'd, he'd be playing in the Premier League um, but he has these games where you know makes you makes you think oh Christ he's a, he's a cracking player um, but if you think you know the boy he played in for Ross Stewart that you know when he got fouled was superb um, but yeah it was an all round really good game from, from Sunderland they were solid 
Um, they, they won at home as well, which is a massive plus against a, a team in, in really good form. Um, and yeah, they, they did exactly what they needed to do in this, this game. They took their chances when they needed to. Um, they were solid. They didn't allow Middlesbrough too many opportunities, um, which is a massive, massive plus. I know Sunderland have got a young squad, so it's one of those games, especially in a derby atmosphere, quote unquote, um, it, you know, it can get it can get the better of them, but it didn't. They 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 showed up and they they performed really well. Tony Mowbray is doing a cracking job yeah. at Sunderland. Inti, it's got to be said. The fact that it's worth saying that promoted teams from League One in recent years have struggled when they've got to Championship level, and Sunderland aren't necessarily your average team coming up from League One, but still, mm-hmm. for them to be on the edge of the playoffs at this stage is. Remarkable, And I think Mowbray deserves a lot of credit. I think some Sunderland fans will be guilty of not being too excited when he came in to replace Alex Neal. But the progress is just astonishing. They're playing some excellent football. They've got one of the youngest squads in the league. I mean, look at some of the players. They've got Diallo, Neal, Elise, Hume, Ballard, Patterson. All these guys early 20s aren't they and they're playing the vast majority of games Jack Clark as well so I completely forgot about but he's getting the best out of Diallo Neil both have been excellent this season Ross Stewart excellent as well playing like a Premier League number nine it is incredible quite frankly and I think he deserves a lot more credit than he possibly gets because he is Tony Mowbray he is the seasoned veteran maybe he doesn't get the credit that he deserves but it is an unbelievable job he's doing and I think this is exactly what he was asked to do at Sunderland just take them to the next level and that's exactly what he's done isn't it Um, so yeah hats off to you Tony Mowbray because I don't think many Sunderland fans or a certain section of Sunderland fans I should say were too excited when he came in but He's got the atmosphere at the club bouncing right now, and not Because they're playing great football, a young, exciting squad, and they're going in the right direction, all with him in charge. Uh, I'd say this is probably the poorest I've seen Middlesbrough play under Michael Carrick so far, Justin. Quite a high bar, in fairness. I don't mm-hmm. think we can be too harsh at the same time, because it is only the second game in nine that they haven't won, and you can't win them all unless you're Burnley. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a disappointing game from their perspective. I think um, they didn't, created too many chances in the first half um, they weren't you know, exactly the, a fluid side that we've seen they 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 tried to manage the game and I thought they managed the game pretty well and as I say the game's decided upon a moment of s- relatively poor defending from Dale Fry whether it's a penalty or not I'd, I'd be um, I'd be challenging that I think it's a free kick rather than a penalty um, but certainly a red card anyway but yeah, just a disappointing performance. And obviously, when you go down to 10 men, you've got to shift things. So I think it's more or less a, a bump in the road for Middlesbrough and the Carrick. And certainly not um, certainly not a massive deal. It's disappointing to lose a, a derby game. But you take it on the chin, you go again into the, into the next one. And as I say, you know, teams with new managers they learn a lot from their defeats. West Brom lost this weekend under Corbrand as well. So, you know, these, these two managers, Corbrand and Carrick, have had massive impacts. They've not had to deal with too many you know, bad moments. Um, so they'll certainly learn learn a lot about their teams in, in these in these times, and they're only going to strengthen in January as well. So I wouldn't be too too disappointed just yet. Cardiff lost one 0 at home to Millwall in their first league game since sacking Mark Hudson. Cardiff fans were protesting against their ownership prior to kick off, so they weren't happy beforehand, and they would have been even less happy after this result, Justin. Yeah, they just offered nothing going forward again. Um, I, the most disappointing thing is the way they, they conceded the goal to Millwall. Um, it's just rage inducing the fact that Jake Cooper who's is six foot seven isn't he he's over six foot five he's massive let's just say he's massive he's huge you do not allow someone of that size with limited dribbling ability no disrespect to Jake Cooper but no one expects him to run through the middle of the pitch he's not Ronaldinho to get that. is he exactly <laughs> he's gone unchallenged and I think it was um, uh, Jaden Philogene who just, just watched him breeze by and then he's played the ball into Bradshaw but Kipre should be dealing with it and then Bradshaw pokes it in I think that goal just sums up the mood at Cardiff at the minute. It was just so disappointing and lackluster from their perspective. And defensively, they've been pretty good this season. They've been all right. They've not been conceding too many chances, but they just offer nothing going forward. And constantly sacking managers, that revolving door of managers, isn't going to isn't going to help that. And what they need right now is a manager to come in and immediately lift the club. Sadly, you've got one who's just ruled himself out of contention in Neil Warnock and then... Um, that's another name. I mean, Mick McCarthy is probably the other name you go to, but no one wants Mick McCarthy back at Cardiff. So, yeah, it was a really disappointing performance again. Didn't really offer much. And, you know, Dean Whitehead 
probably not going to get the job. He probably will get the job because that's what Cardiff's been doing, hasn't haven't they? Been hiring coaches. Well, I don't know who is going to be getting the job at this rate. I did see a tweet. I'm not sure how valid it was this week, saying that they want to give Dean Whitehead a go. But I'm not sure if that's Jesus Christ. Well, well, it was just a tweet, Justin. I'm not okay. sure how oh, no, I'm valid it actually was. But at the same time, where do Cardiff go from here? I've seen reports this week of Sam Allardyce but I can't <laughs> see that happening for the life of me because he would be no. expecting a huge wage whatever the case Cardiff now nine games without a win and in serious serious trouble I've seen some Cardiff fans more optimistic Cardiff fans I will say who are thinking that there's three worse teams than them and they'll ultimately no. stay up anyone who's thinking that is dead wrong I've been saying it all season now but this squad is not very good and it will take a very good manager to get them out of the trouble they're in Justin imagine this right imagine if Cardiff hadn't have signed Callum Robinson towards the end of the window yeah that is a scary thing to think of isn't it because Cardiff will be bottom he's the only one who gives them anything going forwards they desperately need additions but they're struggling financially and meanwhile you've got teams around them like Blackpool Huddersfield Rotherham They've all strengthened significantly in this window. The only way I can see them staying up is if they did bring in a firefighter manager. But those type of managers come at a cost. And it's well known that the owners have already lost a lot of money with this club. I mean, it is mostly their fault that they've lost a lot of money. But something needs to change because right now they're on a one-way course to League One, aren't they? They're going to League One at this rate. Um, I, I, there's no way I can butter it up and make it sound nice, but when you consider the variables that you put into contention of a team hurtling down to League One, Cardiff tick almost every box. They've got a yeah. squad that isn't good enough. They don't score enough goals. They don't create enough chances. Um, their ownership situation's a mess. They've got off-field troubles, obviously, with the transfer embargo. Um, and they've got a squad that I think is competitive enough to stay in a division, but they don't have a manager who can sort it out and they're chopping and changing between styles obviously they've gone from Steve Morrison to Mark Hudson who wanting to play a more passing style of play and then there's talk of Valerian Ishmael and Sam Allardyce I don't know who's running the club because it's I mean it, it's certainly not the owners it's got to be a pretty eight year old or something hasn't it it's just ridiculous um, but that's the situation they're in they're just, they just tick every box for a club dropping down into to League One unfortunately it's, it's a sad state of affairs um, but that's the situation a big win for Millwall, got to be said. Their away form has been shocking this season, so getting three points on the road is always a big positive. They'll need to win more games on their travels, won't they, if they are going to challenge mm-hmm. for the top six, but let's not take anything away from them. A big result. They had to dig in for spells as well. Um, showed a fair bit of character. Um, I know I know, I've slated Cardiff not creating enough, but they did have times where they got into dangerous positions, but Cardiff are blunt not very good in the final third so didn't really worry too much I think for Millwall they'll take the win take the three points but they certainly need to approve in in other away games where they're not coming up, coming up against probably the worst attacking team in the division they'll get punished against other teams so Gary Rowell will be fully understanding of that um, so yeah good win but certainly room for improvement Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about Luton beating Wigan and another win for Sheffield United Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Goals from Harry Cornick and Elijah Adebayo saw Luton beat Wigan 2-0. The most important thing from this game, though, is Justin Peach finally getting a prediction right in a preview episode. The fans were on your back, Justin, calling for you to go. This at least buys you a little more time, doesn't it? It does. Um, Obviously, really pleased. I do think it was a bit of a home run. Um, And I think it's the fact that... yeah. It was an easy one. Wigan's home form is terrible. Luton's away form is pretty good. And fun fact, Luton have now won as many uh, away uh, games at DW in the last five days than Wigan have all season. So, as I say, it was a bit of a home run. Yeah, a much-needed win after reports the club were considering replacing you with Benjamin Bloom. Um, A very comfortable (laughs) win. (laughs) Love you, Benjamin. Uh, a very comfortable win for Luton and it leaves Wigan in a right old pickle. Just two points from seven games since Colo Torre came in. Rock bottom at the table. And I think it's about time for Wigan to admit appointing Torre was a mistake. 
If you were to make a positives and negatives column for the job he's done so far, it doesn't make for great reading. In the positives column, you can say they play nice football or at least nicer to watch than it was under Liam Richardson. Wigan fans can also do the Colo Torre, Yaya Torre chant. That's about it. Because defensively, they're in absolute shambles. They've conceded two or more goals in five of the last six games, including a spell where they conceded four and three games running. Need to remind you that Colo Torre was a defender. If he was going to get one thing right, you'd have thought it would be that. And they've been scoring a goal in every game up until this Luton game, which isn't a bad thing, but it's pointless when your defence is essentially a sieve made out of paper. When they sacked Liam Richardson... They were dropping like a stone, so they had to do something. But I think I'd actually, I think they'd have actually been better off sticking with him than getting in Torre based off what's going on so far. He seems like a very nice man, does Torre, but I haven't seen anything to show that he's a good enough football manager at championship level and at least good enough to turn anything around at Wigan. It's blunt and it's harsh, but it is relatively true. Um, I can't disagree with it because we've had a fairly good sample size of games so far and just not impressive at all. It's, I mean, he's not helped by his, def- his defences making mistakes. Look at the first goal they conceded in this game, Stephen Colker um, trying to dribble it out on the edge of his box. It was horrendous decision-making. Just, just get rid, Justin. Just put it into Rose's head. But this is it. This is it. This is why you need a manager who's going to come in and get results immediately. You need a manager who doesn't want to take risks at the back. And Kodo Torre wants his teams to build from the back, which involves taking risks. Wigan were not in a position to take risks. Um, and I can't remember the last time they played a style of football like that. Maybe going back to Roberto Martinez. Um, they've had relatively rigid managers since then Paul Cook um, maybe a little bit of both so yeah it's, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't the right appointment at the, at this time it, you've got to give Torre a transfer window um, that isn't a winter transfer window for example you've got to give him a summer period to build um, and get his ideas across I mean the, the timing of the appointment was a few weeks into the World Cup break wasn't it as well so he's not even had that bumper time to to work with the players either so it was just really bad decision making from an ownership that has left a lot to be desired over the last several months it's four wins from five now for Luton and Rob Edwards they're ticking over very nicely aren't they Justin I know you're very impressed they are yeah you've got to praise Rob Edwards for being able to pick up from where Nathan Jones has left off and maybe change things slightly and that's mainly in the attack because you look at the attackers that he's rotated between. Um, you look at the last six games, Harry Cornock's got two goals. This is all comps, by the way. Harry Cornock's got two goals, two assists. Adebayo's got three goals. Morris has got three goals, three assists. And Woodrow's got two goals. He's getting the right... Um, also the, he's just getting it right in the final third, essentially. He's getting the team you know, with a pattern of play, creating chances, getting the balls in the, balls in the box in good areas. And he's getting more out of him. He's got Harry Cornick back to his best. I think it was Harry Cornick's first league goal uh, this season, for example, against, against Wigan. So, yeah, he's, he's just ticking a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the boxes in that final third, which is, which is a major positive. Obviously, keeping a clean sheet as well away from home is going to help, but it's building momentum. Um, and I think if you know, a main issue with this Luton team throughout the season has not been taking chances. They're doing it now, still creating them as well. So, yeah, kudos to Rob Edwards for being able to pick up when. Yeah, fill some big shoes in Nathan Jones, being able to pick up from where he left off and take it in a slightly different direction, albeit the same one, but slight diversion. Well, the race for the top six is shaping up like it might just be the six big boys with the most money, but Luton have shown before that finances aren't a barrier to them, so you wouldn't rule them out of doing it again, would you? Sheffield United now unbeaten in eight after a 1-0 win against Hull. Daniel Jebberson got the goal here. Just the second time he's found the back of the net in the league in a blade shirt. I've always thought he's... A very exciting player, Justin. He was scoring goals for fun when he was on loan at Burton mm-hmm. last season, I think it was. Yeah. Someone I'd actually see a bit more of in a Sheffield United shirt. It's, it's just that he's got quite a few players ahead of him, I suppose, isn't it? He's been unfortunate, obviously. I mean, you've got you know, someone like Billy Sharp. You've got Rian Bruce, who was a big money signing. And Ollie McBurney's been in, in a real form. And Ilham Ndiaye as well. Yeah, he's, he's been unfortunate, but he's taken his chance now. You go back to that QPR game where he came off the bench. Um, I thought he changed the game. Um, from a Sheffield United perspective, his press 
Um, he was, you know, he was, he was relentless in his press, and you know, his, his movement as well is is, is a positive. Um, and then you go back to this goal. He took, I mean, he took his goal in the FA Cup against Millwall really well as well. But this goal here was was particularly, I thought, was really impressive because his first touch lets him down a little bit, takes the ball slightly away from him, but he still has a composure to um, to put it in. And he was in a good area as well. He's in the six yard box. That's where you want your forwards to be. Um, so yeah, he's, he's he's certainly one for the future. Um, but if you can make an impact in the uh, in the short term, get a few goals and contribute that way. Then yeah, he's he's he's, he's going to be a you know, positive. He's going to have a positive impact definitely. One thing I will take away from it, I didn't realise he was so lanky. I've seen quite a few of them, but seeing him score his goal against Hull, he's really lanky. I mean, he's still a teenager, so he's probably going to grow into his body a little bit more. But yeah, surprised me a bit. Limbs, limbs everywhere. Yeah. At Sheffield United, remains second, thirteen points clear of third place. I cannot recall too many seasons like this, Justin, where you've got the top two who are just so far ahead. It's something we've spoken about on loads of occasions now, but it bears repeating that it is truly remarkable how far ahead these two teams are. Um, and the, it does look like, ever increasingly, that promotion is already wrapped up for those two already. Mm. And one thing that possibly doesn't get said enough is how good a job Paul Heckingbottom is doing. He's he's perhaps been a bit overshadowed by Vincent Company because of how dominant Burnley have been, but... Heckingbottom is doing an unbelievable job, isn't he? Most other seasons, they'd be top of the league by miles because they've been a class act. At the back, they've been solid all season. Akhmet Hodzic and Egan have both been excellent. Heckingbottom's really got them organised defensively. Oli Norwood, for me, is still the best player of the season. Hecky is getting the best out of him. He's got the likes of James McAtee and Tommy Doyle taking their games to the next level. He's convinced Sander Berger to stay, which is an achievement in itself. He's turned Ilman Ndiaye from an exciting but inconsistent player into a fully-fledged Premier League talent at this stage. And then, of course, he's turned Ollie McBurney into a faltering number nine into one of the best forwards in the division this season. He's also done this having dealt with his fair share of injuries, Anti, My God, they had one hell of an injury crisis earlier in the season. But I think it's time to put some respect on his name for those outside of Bramall Lane. He's a Premier League manager and none of Sheffield United's accomplishments this season would have been possible without the brilliant work that Paul Hackingbottom has put in because all the components in there it just needed someone to knit it all together and he has more than done that he's done that and how two early goals from Ryan Ledson and Alan Brown helped Preston beat Birmingham 2-1 no team has picked up more points away from home in the championship than Preston which is absolutely miraculous considering they're just a fairly average side but I suppose it says a lot about how poor their home form is Lovely goal from Ryan Ledson. Also thought the two new strikers had good games. Seems to be something of a partnership brewing mm-hmm. between the pair of them. So a very good day for PE. Uh, things not looking good for Birmingham. They've now lost five on the trot in the league. There were fans protesting against how the club is being run during the game. They were holding up a banner in front of the director's box. Fans were already unhappy with how the club is being run. But this recent form has only amplified that, Justin. It's a, yeah, it's a sorry situation off the field that is it's now caught up with with things on the pitch, and it's not it's nothing to do with each other. Um, it's just just how things have, have turned out. Birmingham City are always they're always going to be in a position where um, where this where the, this run of form will happen because of how low numbers are in their squad. Um, maybe lack a little bit of quality in that final third at times as well. Um, I mean, you saw Rudy Kadra as sharp as he was, you know, had to carry the uh, attack at times, but. Yeah, it's just this this run of form. Yeah, there's a run of losses, but I think the worrying trend for me is how easily they're giving goals away and how easily they're giving chances away as well. If you look at the first goal, I think it was, um, you know, there are ample times to to clear the ball. They don't. The second goal was a near post header. Um, not I wouldn't say not enough desire to get on the cross, but certainly shouldn't be being being beaten. Um, and yeah, Birmingham physical team at the back as well, so it's it's just disappointing. So yeah, the worrying trend for for Eustace here is is how easily they're conceding goals giving themselves a lot of work to do in games and unfortunately don't think they have enough quality at the moment to to turn those deficits around but like I said they're, they've got a really good coach and manager I think Birmingham City just got to stick with the team um, I know it's difficult in, in, in really tough times but you know Eustace has done a good job so far just needs just needs that support to, to turn it around Yeah something has happened in recent weeks with Birmingham and I don't know what it is they were a very competitive side in the first half of the season, but it's like someone's flicked a switch 
and they've just gone bad. Because 13 goals conceded and four scored in their last five. The drop-off has been huge and I'm not sure where it's going to stop. Confidence is very low right now. It's clear to see that from just watching this Birmingham side and fans obviously aren't happy and that's not going to change even if results improve. So they are up against it in that respect. Mm -hmm. Earlier in the season, there was so much wrong with Birmingham off the pitch, but it wasn't affecting results. Now results are bad. And when you've got those two together, that's a very concerning mix. So I was mildly concerned about Birmingham a week or two ago. Now I'm becoming very concerned and that concern is only growing more and more the more I see of them based off how their performances have been in the last few weeks. Uh, there was a proper coupon buster at Vicarage Road as Watford drew one all against Rotherham. This wasn't a snatch and grab kind of draw though for Rotherham. Either team could have very well easily won this and I came out of this game having been very impressed with Rotherham. Yeah, absolutely. They're coming into the game off the back of a 4-0 win, you could see that confidence was there. And I'd argue this was a better performance than the than the 4-0 win over Blackburn. Um they were they were really good. I know Watford had their chances. It was a it was a good it was a good championship game, it was a good end-to-end game, both teams creating chances. And as you say, I think that addition of Tarek Foss, who is going to massively help um rather in that final third because he's a player with so much quality. And he's shown that at Brentford and Oxford. He's got a lot of quality. He just needs to run a games in a team that um, that are going to get the best out of him. And him on that left-hand side, I mean, he nearly he nearly won the game for them. Obviously, fluffed his fluffed his lines a little bit in the um, in the second half. But he showed, yeah, you know, his, his his shot created the goal. Shane Ferguson seems to um, hit another gear as well. He's got two and two now, which is which is great for him. Um, but yeah, it was a really really good performance, really good final third performance, I think, from Rotherham, which is something that we've not really seen many times this season they were good at creating chances um, and I think if they, again if they can build upon this and they flicked to a 4-3-3 as well which I thought was interesting um, Ogbeni was at central central forward so yeah a lot of positives to take away from, from Rotherham I know they drew and what they could have won the game but certainly massively impressed with them more impressed than the 4 win which is bizarre uh, yeah, I was really impressed with Rotherham as well. And it's, I thought Tariq Foso, you mentioned there, Justin, I thought he was excellent. He missed a sitter towards the end of the game, as you say. <laughs> but he, he's a very exciting player, isn't he? He's only just signed for them. In fact, I think he may have only even been there for about 24 hours before the Watford game. But he could end up being a brilliant signing. I will be honest, when I saw the news announced, it was one of those that made me raise my eyebrows and go, wow, Really? Because I thought he was doing all right at Stoke and I imagined he'd either stay there or go to a club with a similar budget to Stoke. Not a club like Rotherham who have one if not the smallest budgets in the league. Mm. But I think he gives them a bit of star quality going forwards which they have lacked this season. So he could end up being a really, really good addition for them. Now for Watford it's been a theme all season hasn't it? They're, they're a very hit and miss side thankfully for them it's more often hit which is why they still remain third in the league but this is a big miss isn't it? It is um, I think I think a little bit of context coming into this game Rotherham are coming into it with a lot of confidence and Watford, Watford have got a lot of players to bed in they signed a lot of players in this window that need to they need to bed in get them settled um, get them um, get Bilic implementing them into the system so there's a lot of a lot of things actually need to be wired in. It's not going to be an instant thing. And obviously, Watford are inconsistent coming into the January transfer window. These things are going to happen. They're going to come. They're going to have ebbs and flows. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world that they drop points at home. I think if they can continue picking up points and not actually being at their best, but I thought they were okay. I thought they did enough to win the game. Um, both keepers were Mourinho, pretty decent form. Um, it just 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 didn't happen for them on on the day. And you could say the same thing about Rotherham. It was just good end to end game and probably a draw a fair result, but. It'll look like a missed opportunity, but when you contextualise it and suggest it, bring in the fact that Rotherham are in, you know, probably high spirits after an emphatic win last week, it probably isn't a bad result. Blackburn have actually drawn a game. They and Bristol City shared the points. It finished one all at Ashton Gate. Blackburn were the first team in Championship history to have gone 27 games without a draw, and I, for one, am quite disappointed it's come to an end. Justin, <laughs> I mean, we, we've um, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Gary Rowett drawing games at Millwall in recent seasons, we've always been egging him on to go the full hog and set that record. And again with Blackburn, to, for a team to go undefeated or undraw defeated, I don't know how to throw, Un, phrase it. Undrawn? Undrawn. Undrawn. Yeah, undrawn. For them to go undrawn throughout the whole season would have been just 
amazing. Unfortunately, it's not happened. But I, I think I'm glad because sitting in, uh, before you know every weekend, sitting in you know, on the edge of your seats, just thinking, is that draw going to come through or not? I don't know. But to be fair to them, they had to um, they had to show character in this game, and they showed some personality at last. Going out to ten men in the final fifteen minutes, holding on for a draw. Double thumbs up from us as a second tier. <laughs> Just amazed that you're on the edge of your seat waiting for a draw <laughs> to happen. Uh, I think both teams will be disappointed to have not won this one, actually, because Blackburn mm. were ahead, but then Bristol City equalised after Thomas Kaminsky parried a shot to Antoine Semenyo. I think Kaminsky should have done better there, yeah. personally. But then Bristol City had a goal disallowed late on, which was quite tight. Oh, Nigel yeah. Pearson was complaining about it, but I think think it was the right one Justin I I'm on the edge of I think it was uh, I think uh, it was Bell wasn't it I think Bell's onside um, I think the angle's not the best obviously the bloody height of the camera is not going to be helpful but I think the linesman which person pointed out the linesman's a yard behind so he's going to look across it and he's going to see that Bell's ahead of that first man rather than actually looking across it and seeing that two centre-halves were a little bit deeper I think it was onside mm. I haven't had a good look at it but the image I saw before was indicating that he was offside but I might be wrong on that don't quote me on that at QPR 1 Swansea 1 the best bit about this game was an indirect free kick for a back pass it was taken from the edge of the six yard box every Swansea player on the line is there anything more thrilling in football than that Justin it's just great isn't it The, the thing the thing is they always blast it they always blast it whoever has an indirect free kick they always blast it why don't you side foot it underneath players who are charging it down? Because Harry, Harry Darling, to be fair to him, took it square on in the chest. I think I'd shed a tear if that happened to me. That would... <laughs> I mean, he took it, he took it full on. Um, but he, but everyone dives in, so just caress it into the bottom corner. I think there's there's room for it, but because it doesn't happen, who practices it? Who's going to practice indirect free kicks? It doesn't happen no very often, exactly. does it? So there's not much point in practicing, I suppose. The only other, the, the last one I remember, I might be wrong on this. The last one I remember was Charlie Austin against Wigan for West Brom. Yes. Two or three years ago, there was a yeah. there was a pass back in that game and he side-footed that one and he scored from it. But it is just amazing, isn't it? Because it is a straight-up 50-50 chance of going in, really. Because there's players on the line, it's not like a penalty where... You're more penalty likely or not wall. going to score. It is a penalty with a wall. And really, if you're talking about the strict rules of football, I suppose indirect free kicks make more sense than penalties in some occasions because if someone gets fouled on the corner of the box and then you have a penalty, it's yeah. more often than not a goal, isn't it? Whereas an indirect free kick would be a lot fairer. But that, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> just uh, Jamal Lowe scored his first QPR goal as well, which was well taken so he'll be happy to get off the mark and finally Blackpool v Huddersfield was postponed because of a frozen pitch a shame actually because it would have been a huge game in the battle to stay up and Mm. also Mick McCarthy's first game as Blackpool boss speaking of which now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And Mick McCarthy's been appointed the new Blackpool boss until the end of the season. We spoke about it on Thursday, Justin, when it looked like it was going to happen. You can hear our thoughts on that one in the midweek show. Sheffield United have been placed under a transfer embargo as the EFL investigates claims of failing to pay historical transfer fees. The EFL has not specified which club or player the matter relates to. However, it means the Blades cannot register a player without the written prior consent of the league until the overdue payment is made the examiner says it relates to signings made when the club were in the premier league i don't think it's a disaster justin because sheffield united have a big enough and strong enough squad to get promotion over the line anyway but it's certainly not ideal is it it's an inconvenience and it probably makes sheffield united fans it probably concerns them a little bit because it's it feels like mispayments but being a derby supporter and having this situation (laughs) bestow the club throughout last season it's not a massive deal. Um, it just means you've got to say pretty please to the EFL if you want to sign a player. But I don't think Heckingbottom's desperate to bring players in. For example, he wants to keep Willis Suda at the club. Um, he doesn't want to loan him out because he wants to ensure that they've got enough depth in the forward areas, which makes you wonder that maybe they're not going to bring players in anyway. So, yeah, I'm not really surprised. And obviously, the owners are trying to sell the club as well. So their priorities are trying to sell the club rather than, I mean, you shouldn't really be missing your payments, but if they're trying to sell the club, 
they probably want to leave those payments to new ownership as opposed to paying them themselves if that makes sense so not entirely surprised but it's just an inconvenience isn't it yeah i think as soon as this takeover gets done it will be paid straight away exactly. and you'd yeah. have thought the takeover wouldn't be too far away now if it is indeed <laughs> going to happen so We'll have to wait and see, but it's not a huge deal as far as embargoes go. Speaking of embargoes, Cardiff's has now fully been lifted. You'll be forgiven for thinking that's already happened. That was the EFL embargo. Now FIFA's embargo has been lifted, so they definitely can sign players again if they've got any money left. Sticking with Cardiff, court papers say the club tried to take out £20 million insurance on Emiliano Sala the day after he was killed in a plane crash. A company of insurance brokers said the club failed to get cover before Salah's plane went down three years ago. The Bluebirds are seeking damages of more than 10 million from insurance brokers following the death. Now, it's important to note that Cardiff have denied this being the case, saying the club understood from its broker that all players were insured from the moment they were signed. And the case arises from learning they were not. Whatever's happened, it's another thing that leaves a sour taste in the mouth because ultimately we're talking about a man's death here. Two deaths, actually. Mm. And nobody's looking good coming out of this, but we'll leave that there. Wigan have been given a suspended three-point deduction until the end of the year after admitting to multiple breaches of EFL regulations. It's in relation to late payment of wages on three separate occasions. The club will also be required to deposit 125% of the monthly wage bill into a club account in case of further delays. So all the Wigan fans who said it was fake news that they were late to pay wages were wrong. Uh, the only thing I've got to say on this is imagine the pressure on the HR person, Justin. One mispayment <laughs> and you've payroll in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One mispayment and you've essentially taken a win away from the team. Yeah, oh God, a lot of pressure yeah. on that person. Poor them. Now let's move on to transfer news. Burnley have signed Sweden international Hjamal Ekdal for an undisclosed fee. The 24-year-old centre-back has agreed a four-and-a-half-year deal after joining from Tuja Gardens. Uh, I think you can look at this as a signing as Burnley, uh, a sign of Burnley planning for life back in the Premier League, but also to cover for Harwood Bellis's injury. Tariq Fosu's been recalled from his loan at Stoke and gone to Rotherham. Defender Harry Clark's also been recalled from his loan at Stoke and gone to Ipswich in a permanent deal. Huller brought in Crystal Palace winger Michael. Uh, I said uh, Michael. I said Michael on Twitter, and Justin <laughs> Justin corrected me about it. It's Malcolm a away. I don't know where I've got Michael in my head from, but anyway, Huller brought in Crystal Palace winger Malcolm a away on loan. I really like him, Justin. We saw plenty of him at Derby last season. He's a really exciting talent who Liam Mazzinia knows very well, of course. He's one of the most exciting players I've seen in a Derby shirt in my time watching Derby, um, and I know that might be. Me, you might might come across a sensationalist, but it really isn't. He was so magical with the ball at his feet; it was ridiculous. Um, and I don't think there'll be many Championship players as good as him. You know, you're looking at Josh Bowler, maybe, you know, players who just want to beat their man. Um, you know, it's a traditional winger with a um, what's the word I'm looking for with a with a modern with a modern twist, a modern flair to it. Um, and I think he'll be if he can get going, get form going, it can be one of the most exciting players Hull have seen for a long time. Yeah, he's a really, really exciting player. I can promise Hull fans they're in for a treat with him this season. Plus, he, he seems like a lovely lad as well. <laughs> uh, and in injury news, Huddersfield goalkeeper Lee Nichols could be out for a while after having surgery on a shoulder injury. The club say they're yet to figure out how long he could be in the treatment room for. And championship history was made this weekend. Rebecca Welsh became the first female to referee a championship game. She was in charge of Birmingham v Preston, which is welcomed by us at the second tier. Let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Will Burnley break the 106-point record, yes or no? I don't think they will. I think it's. I don't think it's going to be broken. I'll be honest with you. I think Fulham were the team to do it with their talent, and they didn't. So I, I don't think they will. I'll say no, just because we've said this a few times now on the <laughs> yeah. second tier of a team who looks away. like yeah, a team looks like they could very well break the record, but then ultimately no one comes near just because that was such an unbelievable tally. So we'll say no. 64% of people said no. 36% said yes. Which of these teams is most likely to finish in the playoffs? Blackburn, Luton, Millwall, Sunderland. Blackburn, Luton, Millwall. Millwall. I've got to go with Millwall. I've always said Luton and I'll stick with 
Luton again, I think. 41% of people said Sunderland, 26% said Luton, 18% said Blackburn and 15% said Millwall. And finally, have you ever tried Haggis and did you like it? Yes, I liked it. Yes, and hated it. No, but we'll try it. No, and we'll never try it. Is it, is it uh, sheep's bladder? I don't really know what it is, to be honest, oh, good. but I've had it recently and it tastes delicious. I've never had it. Never, never will have it. Obviously, um, so yeah. You could probably get yeah. a vegan version of it. How? How can they remove what a plant bladder? No, but you know you've got vegan substitutes for sausages and burgers, haven't you? So I'm, I'm guessing there must be a haggis version out there. But what's the point though? Because the whole point of a haggis is is the fact that for it's, a it's, taste sensation it's bladder. No, there's just there's no point in repeating, replicating some things. So, yeah, can't wait for that uh, that grassy bladder I'm going to get. Doesn't make sense. We'll have to, to sort it out for you. I'll have a look on Amazon and see if I can get you a <laughs> vegan haggis for you, Justin. Um, the reason we brought it up is because Justin was having a go at me for trying haggis last yeah. night, and I, I absolutely loved it. It was great. Give it some mash and gravy. Beautiful. Um, 40% of people said no, and we'll never try it. Narrow-minded. Yeah, 29% of people said yes and liked it. 7% said yes and hated it. So you see, if you try it, most people like it. And finally, 24% of people said no, but would try it. And now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Visa and Ben. Someone asked the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and Visa would say Villa, that's one down. And Ben would say Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So I was looking at players who played for both Burnley and Stoke. The first person who came up was the legend and very average podcaster, Peter Crouch. Although I did forget he played for Burnley, even though it was a very logical pairing, those two. Anyway, the question's about him. He's played for eight clubs in England other than Burnley and Stoke. Can you name them? I will give you one of them because it's a non-league side and I'd be surprised if anyone actually knew it unless anyone wants to hazard a guess. So Dulwich and Hamlet? It is. Well done, Justin Peach. You've set yourself up now because if you don't get the rest, that'll be embarrassing. Um, so there you go. Justin Peach has had the first go. Uh, we'll move on to Visa. Can you name a club that Peter Crouch has played for in England? Right. Um, last time I came on, I'm pretty sure I, I dragged us almost to, to the end of it. I think it was like French um, players that had 100 caps, I believe. So I'll pick the obvious one. Sorry, boys. Um, I'll pick Liverpool. Um, I, I'm, I can't fail this, surely. Yep, three seasons at Handfield. Always remember that bicycle kick. Uh, ben Rowley. I think I've gone out every time in Sam Grayson's Hope Flight, so I'm going to take Spurs <laughs> right now so I don't get eliminated in round one. Correct. He began his career at Spurs before going back there in 2009. So that's three down, five to go. Justine. I had the displeasure of uh, reading his autobiography. Um so I do, I do know his career quite well. Um, he was at QPR for a bit. Yep, he had one season there after signing in the year 2000. Absolutely correct. That means you're halfway through, Visa. I, I, do I even need to be involved in this? I think Justin has all this all sorted. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm struggling already, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I actually don't know. Um, <clears throat> I, I, actually, I actually can't tell. I'm going to be knocked out here. Um <sighs> I just, I'm just going to say, like, Newcastle or something. Newcastle. I know it's not wrong. I know it's not right. Yeah, Newcastle is incorrect. To be yeah. fair, three of these clubs are very tricky. And unless you're a Peter Crouch super fan, which I'm guessing Justin might be, <laughs> then then I'd be surprised if you got these. So I'm no, no surprise that you're out, Visa. That means it's down to Ben and Justin. Ben, it's your go. Four to go. I want to say Aston Villa. Correct. Three seasons there in the early 2000s, but couldn't establish himself in the first team. Justin? Permanent permanent homes or loan spells as well. I said eight clubs in England other than Burnley and Stoke. He had a loan spell at Norwich. He did. He had a loan there in 2003. You're very much correct. Two to go. Two of you still in. Ben? Um, see, I think he was a Harry Redknapp disciple, wasn't he? So Portsmouth? 
Yeah, he had two spells at Fratton Park. You are very much correct. That means there's one left. Justin, uh, do you know this? I, I hope I would. Um, I'm trying to go through his career now. So there's there's QPR. Um, Bloody hell, mate. Villa. We haven't got time for this. Can you hold on? I'm right. QPR, Villa, Spurs, Liverpool, Southampton. Correct. Signed there in 2004 and had one season there. What a wonderful showing by these gentlemen right here. Peter Crouch, career reeled off without much harm done at all. Well done, chaps. How are you feeling about that, Visa? I'm very grateful that... Um, the thing is, that the second I said Newcastle, I instantly remembered Redknapp and Portsmouth. So, you know, um means nothing now. But I'm very grateful that I finally won one of these, um, thanks to Justin uh, and Ben, of course. So thank you, lads. It's a team game. It's a team game. And that's the only way you're ever going to take down the evil Simon Grayson. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to look ahead to all the games coming up in the Championship next weekend. Although there aren't that many because it's the FA Cup, but we'll talk about them anyway. Uh, so big thank you to our guests on the show this week. It's Visa, the Burnley fan and YouTuber. Thank you for your time today, mate. Thank you very much. Also with us was Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, The YYY Files. Ben, thank you for your time today. A pleasure. Thank you very much, fellas. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big old thank you for listening.